Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. In every case... Jesus is motivating these Christians to make changes based on eternity. In other words, Jesus says, don't forget about heaven, because how they respond is going to have eternal ramifications. And lastly, each letter has a divine revelation. Now, this is fascinating to me. In each of the seven letters, Jesus takes a phrase, get this, or an aspect of what we saw in chapter 1, and Jesus reiterates it one by one. One part is given to each of the seven churches. Each letter begins with a personal description of Jesus Christ. Now, you might remember last week, Jesus said, I am he who was alive, and now, and, 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 who is alive and was dead. Now I'm alive. Well, he says to the church at Smyrna, I am he who was dead and now alive. To the church at Pergamos, he said he has a sharp two-edged sword. You remember from last week, John gave us that powerful description that out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which speaks of what? The word of God. So it is very interesting that each description that John gave us in chapter 1, we find a piece of of that description in chapters 2 and 3, speaking to the church. Very fascinating to me. So, beginning in chapter 2 with the church at Ephesus, God gives us these seven churches, and he gives us, if you will, an X-ray of the spiritual condition of the church. And that's what we're going to look at for the next several weeks, an x-ray of their spiritual condition. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you are there, say a hearty amen. To the angel, the church at Ephesus, write. These things says he who holds the seven stars. See, that was one of the descriptions in chapter one. Remember, these things says he, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, give me your attention. Think about it. Think about this. Chapters two and three is the only record of anything that Jesus ever wrote down. Ever. Now, wait a minute, Rodney. I know my Bible, man. I remember the time when Jesus leaned down and he wrote in the dirt and all those guys disappeared. Yeah, that's true. 
but we don't know what he wrote. Interesting. Chapters 2 and 3 are the only recorded words that we know what Jesus wrote. And we know that Jesus is writing a letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now, the word angel is the Greek word angelos, and it means a messenger. It can refer to a divine messenger or a human messenger. But most people believe, and I believe, that it is a reference to the church, the pastor of the church, the angel. Now, you might remember in chapter 1, verse 20, John saw Jesus walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks and holding the seven stars in his right hand. And the Lord told us, and we saw it last week, that the seven golden candlesticks were the seven churches, and the stars are the pastors of those churches. Now, this verse gives me great comfort because it tells me that the pastor of the church, in this case, moi, I am being held in the hand of the Lord. And not only am I being held in the hand of the Lord, but the church, this church is being held in the hand of the Lord. So I need not worry about this church. This is his church, and I am a shepherd in his hand. This is really great news. And so Jesus is telling us that he's holding the pastors of these churches and that he is in the midst of the people and that he is aware of what's going on among his people. Now, the church that Jesus is writing to is Ephesus. You might remember, Paul the Apostle started this church. He showed up in Ephesus and it's found in Acts chapter 19, and he met with some believers. And he felt like there was something missing in their life. And so Paul says to them, he says, have you received the spirit since you believed? He showed up among these believers and he thought something was missing. And what was missing was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was the work of the Holy Spirit to empower the believers. And so Paul says to them, did you receive the spirit since you believed? And they said, well, we don't even know what you're talking about. We never heard of this. And Paul explained to them more fully, and he prayed for them to receive the power of the Holy Spirit there in Ephesus. Now, the word, the name Ephesus means darling, D-A-R-L-I-N-G, like you call your wife, darling. It means darling. And this city was a beautiful, darling, influential magnificent city with a population of approximately 300,000 people. The city of Ephesus was called the Star of Asia or the Light of Asia. It was the center of worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana. And Artemis, she was the goddess of hunting and the patroness of young girls. The temple to Artemis was used for prostitution. And this is in the Darling City. The temple was used for prostitution. 
It was ranked one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, 127 pillars, six feet in diameter, and a 60-foot wall. Ephesus was a beautiful, immoral, violent city. And in the midst of this beautiful, immoral, violent city, God planted a church, a church that became a famous church in a famous city. Paul the Apostle, Timothy, Aquila, Priscilla, tradition tells us that John himself preached in the church at Ephesus. It was a place of great preaching and great privilege. They had a rich tradition, great fruit, and powerful impact. And yet, the church in Ephesus had a real problem. And that is why Jesus is writing this letter. Now, before the Lord deals with their problem, he first of all gives them an affirmation. He tells them what they're doing good. Notice in verses 2 through 4, I know your works, Jesus says, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles. You see, people will say they are apostles and are not. And they have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Interesting. Now, these guys, the Lord, affirms them in four areas. These guys, they were a serving church. I mean, th this was a good church. Don't misunderstand me. These guys were a serving church. Notice Jesus says in verse 2, I know your works and your labor. Jesus says, darling, I know and I see how hard you guys work and you labor. That word labor means to labor to the point of exhaustion. I mean, these guys, they really worked. They were an active, energetic church. They had a lot of stuff going on. Other churches might sit and do nothing for the kingdom, but not this fellowship. They always had something going on in the bulletin, something happening at the cafe, radio, TV. They had a soup kitchen and a homeless ministry and a prison ministry. If you were looking for ministry, you could find it at this church. They witnessed they labored. No Christian couch potatoes in this church. Nope, no way. These guys were a hardworking church, and Jesus commends them for that. And let me just say, I commend you for that. Now, I can't help but think about this church. There's some great people in this church. This is a hardworking church. I'm always proud when we do something whether it be an outreach or an inreach or just whatever. I mean, people really, and if you've been around here for some time, you know, people really work hard. And they pour themselves into the church here. And, and I so much appreciate that. Can't help but think of that as I, as I teach this. This church was a serving church, a hardworking church there at Ephesus. Not only were they a serving church, but they were a steadfast church in the midst of suffering. Notice God says, I know your patience. 
These guys were not quitters. They stayed the course and they stayed with the task. They hung in there and they were persecuted and suffered, and yet they bore up under a heavy load. They were a steadfast church. And not only a steadfast church, but they were a separated church or a pure church. Jesus says, I know that you hate those whose deeds were evil. Now, as I said, this was an immoral, violent, and evil city. In Acts chapter 19, again, it tells us that Satan had a real stronghold in this city. Many people in this city were given over to Satanism. They were given over to the occult. And when people heard the freeing news of the gospel or this church at Ephesus had an impact in their community, people were getting saved and they were being delivered from the occult and they were turning to the Lord. And it even says that they brought their evil books and they, they had a big book burning party totaling like 364,000 currency, our currency, dollars in material and paraphernalia that they bought out to this book burning party. They got rid of those things when they became a Christian. And when you become a Christian, you need to get rid of some stuff. Say amen. You need to get rid of your Sports Illustrated and all that stuff. Get that stuff out your house. When you become a Christian, you got to get rid of your stuff. All that stuff that, you know, certain, you know how it is, certain things, you know, I can hear certain music in my, from my BC days, before Christ. And you hear certain music and it reminds you, you're like, remember when I was doing this, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I'm the, I'm the pastor of the church now, let me just uh, straighten up and fly right. Yeah, 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 I'm godly. But certain things kind of click off certain memories. It's an interesting thing how the mind works. Certain things, places, music can even click off certain smells. Isn't that interesting? And so that tells us what? That, that we need to be mindful that when we become Christians, you need to get rid of anything that links itself back to your BC days because those things pull on you. Listen, they pull on you. And before you know it, you're doing, yeah, yeah, baby. I remember that. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a Christian. You see? You got to get rid of that stuff. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Not your magazines, not your movies, not your records, not your albums. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. And these people in Ephesus, when they became Christians, they took all their occultic stuff, their books and their Ouija boards and their pentagrams, and they brought that stuff out to the middle of the room, set that stuff on fire and burned bridges, and they didn't look back. These guys were a separated and pure church. Not only were they steadfast and separated, but these guys were also a scripture-loving church. Now, I like that. They were a discerning church. Jesus says, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. See, these guys, they knew the word and they loved the word. This church knew the truth. 
and they could discern between truth and error. This church didn't put up with false teaching and heresy. What we see happening in the church today would not have happened in the church at Ephesus. It's awful what we see in the church today. It is awful what Christians tolerate. It is awful what Christians digest nowadays in the name of Christianity, in the name of tolerance, in the name of, well, you don't know how the Spirit's moving. How do you know, Pastor? And we digest things that are just ungodly and unscriptural. And it's interesting because what was true in the days of Ephesus were true in the days of the Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon. They call him the Prince of Preachers. And he wrote this statement of the church a hundred years ago, and it still rings true of the churches today. He said this, this was grand of them, talking about the church at Ephesus, it showed a backbone of truth. I wish some of the churches of this age had a little of this holy decision about them. For nowadays, if a man be clever, he may preach the vilest lie that it was ever vomited from the mouth of hell, and it will go down with some. Wow. What was true for the church at Ephesus was true in Moody's day, or Spurgeon's day, Moody's day too, and it is true today. But this church back then in the first century, these apostles, these guys coming in, I've got a word from the Lord. Now you might remember before Paul left this area of Ephesus, he had a meeting with the elders. And he, he brought them together. and He says, fellas, come here. And they came from around all these different places. And he had a meeting with the elders. And the Bible says with tears, he said to them, Paul said that when I leave, he said that there are going to be wolves that are going to rise up from among you. False teachers rise up from among us. They don't come into the church and go, hello, I'm a false teacher. I'm here to devour the sheep. And we go, oh, yeah, there's a false teacher. Let's all go. Come on, sheep. Let's go get eaten by the false teacher. We don't, no, they don't do that. If you're waiting for them to say, hi, false teacher, visitor, then it's not going to happen. What does happen is, like Paul said, they rise up from among us. And Paul says, and they will not spare the flock. I want you to know this. And he said it with tears and with weeping. And that actually did happen. And that's why the Lord is commending them that you didn't tolerate those guys who came in and they were seeking to devour the sheep. They weren't seeking to feed the flock of God. They were fleecing the flock of God. And the Lord says, good job. You guys are a scripture-loving church. And not only were they a scripture-loving church and a separated and steadfast church, but these guys, notice, fast forward, if you will, to verse 6. But this you have, this is another good thing you're doing. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. God is a God of love. God is a God of tolerance. And he just loves the world. He loves the children. Well, yeah, he is a God of love. But he is also a God who can hate. 
Really? Yeah. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, who in the world are the Nicolaitans? The word Nicolaitan, it actually is a compound word. We have two words in the Greek language, Nico, N-I-K-O. I think Nike stole this, man. I'm telling you, I think Nike stole it. Nico, which means to conquer. And Laos means the people, or we have the word laity. The word speaks of those who would or who had conquest over the people. The Nicolaitans were a clergy over the people or those who lorded over the people. Now, it's interesting to me that already in the early church, you saw this separation of clergy and laity. You know, we are the clergy, you peasants are the laity. The Bible doesn't teach that. As a matter of fact, God hates that. When pastors exalt themselves above the people, when pastors think that they are all that, they think they're important. God hates that. When they lord over the people, oh, I'm the pastor of the church, children, my children, come serve me. Jesus says, no. You want to be like Jesus? He came to serve people, not to be served. And so these Nicolaitans, they lorded over the people. They had a conquest over the people. And the Nicolaitans, they would say, listen to me. I will tell you what God has to say in regard to your life. The Nicolaitans put a separation between God and the people, and they made themselves the mediator between God and the people. Now, I remember when I was coming up in school, and many of you know the same, I grew up in the Catholic Church. As you know, I went to Catholic school all my life and had my, had my knuckles hit by the nuns with the ruler when I wasn't holding my pen right. Y'all know how that happens. You just writing along and singing a happy song and whack! You're like, ooh, ah, 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 ah. Okay. And I grew up in Catholic Church, and, and I remember going to confession, which for me personally was a traumatic experience. It really was. Because, you know, going to, you're a kid. You go in a dark booth and then somebody just shows up. I mean, it just kind of blew me away. And, you know, I would confess my sin and the priest would tell me, go say, you know, whatever it is in recompense to whatever it is I did wrong. Yeah, Hail Marys and, uh, and uh, you know, just whatever they, they prescribed. And, and the priest would tell me, that uh, you, you can go say these things, go light some candles, and then your sins will be forgiven. And then the priest would take my sin to Mary, and Mary would take that sin to the Father, and the Father would forgive my sin. That was the process. The Bible does not teach that. That's not biblical. And if, if anything, and let me say this with all love and sensitivity, God hates that because it separates the people from the Father. And not only that, but more importantly, it messes up the redemptive picture, 
What is that? Jesus died to save us from our sins. And if we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when you put someone in the middle, the man in the middle, uh, apart from Jesus, the man in the middle, that's not of God. God hates that. That is the conquest of the people or lording over the people. God hates that. I say that with love and trepidation, but it's true. Now, First Timothy tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man who? Christ Jesus. There's just one mediator, and that's Jesus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.